We're seeing the last gasps of air as the Trump campaign tries to resuscitate any of its challenges and other ways to to kind of reverse the loss that was suffered at the beginning of the month of November to President-elect Joe Biden. And one of the places where that's focused is Georgia right now. And I want to talk about that with someone who has both worked on Senate uh, offices and Senate campaigns and is now a politics reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia Murphy, thank you so much for spending some time with me at the table. Hi, of course. Thank you. And and you are right now a very busy person. And I can only imagine, you know, when you and I started having this conversation about having this conversation and we were saying, uh, let's talk about, you know, the, the election past and the election's future, meaning the two Senate specials that are coming up at the beginning of January. I did not think, even just a few days ago when we were coordinating this, that we would still be talking with as much earnestness as we are about the several recounts and potentially more to come from the the Trump campaign. So let's start with where we are. Today in Georgia, Biden electors were chosen. The ascertainment, I saw it signed by the governor. Apparently this is real. And yet we're not quite done, are we? We are not done. Um, So in Georgia. (laughs) Ow! (laughs) Exactly. Well, Stay tuned. Nothing's ever simple in Georgia politics. Um, <laughs> Good. Good. Well, that Georgia, makes for an interesting conversation, at least. Exactly. Um, for people who've been paying attention, and I feel like the whole world has been paying attention, um, we have just finished a manual recount of all five million of the votes cast for president. Joe Biden has won Georgia. He's the first Democrat since 1992 to do that. Um However, in the days after the election, um, a lot of questions were raised by Trump supporters, by Donald Trump himself, by Trump advocates, um, obviously, basically all of Trump world um, accusing Democrats and Republicans and anybody in between of throwing this election to Joe Biden. As a result of that, Georgia's secretary of state decided to use what was required by law anyway. It's called a risk-limiting audit. This is required after every election. So an audit is conducted to make sure that the um, machines that were used had a generally accurate result. Um, the Secretary of State could have chosen any, any, single, um, any single election on the ballot from Election Day to run the audit on because the presidential election was getting so much attention, he decided to focus on the presidential race because the um, because the margin was so tiny. What could have been a statistical analysis and what typically is just a statistical uh, sampling to make sure that an audit goes properly um, ended up being a full name recount. Um, so that was required by law in Georgia law the election needs to be finished, completed, audited, and certified by the governor in order for a recount to be possible. And so now that all of those steps have happened, then the legal um, opportunity for any campaign to request a recount is available to them if the margin is at less than half a percent, which it is for the Trump campaign. So they have now requested a recount um, that certainly is their legal right. It's their legal opportunity. Nobody down here thinks that that's um, not something that they're allowed to do. 
But I think what is a huge problem, especially for Republicans here in the state, is that the Trump campaign is not just requesting a recount. They are um, raising all kinds of accusations and fantastical fantasies and conspiracies about what might have happened in the Georgia election, which really was quite a smooth operation, I have to tell you, compared to previous Georgia elections. This was kind of easy breezy. Um, but now the Trump campaign is leveling all kinds of accusations against our Republican Secretary of State and our Republican governor. And there's an overriding concern that that could have an effect on these two Senate runoffs in January when Republicans really need to win those two Senate seats. And so, you know, what was complicated has become just an absolute um, mess for Republicans. And that's, that's what we've got going on here. Low these many weeks after Election Day. <laughs> well, let's start with where where Georgia has been, because in the last four years, Georgia has doubled the number of people who are voting. In the last two years, it's only been two years since a very uh, tight race for governor. I'm, we're, we're talking about, you, know, you mentioned Governor Kemp just a minute ago. And of course, uh, the Secretary of State, Brad uh, Raffensperger, is also a Republican. The um, what, what people remember very recently in our memory, although it feels like a million years ago, the Stacey Abrams uh, very close race that was uh, that, that she lost there. Um, the, the, some of the same characters that we're seeing now uh, in, in special elections, for example, John Ossoff, these are these are names. These have been tight races that have had problems, as you've alluded to, that compared to what we're seeing now, this is relatively smooth, especially with some of those recent examples in the rear view. Yeah. So this um the November election came on the heels of our July primaries, which had incredibly long lines. Um, they were, um, I think, seen by many as kind of a national embarrassment. We were using new voting machines for the first time um, in 18 years, and uh, there was enormous amounts of confusion at the county level, how those would work, who should be staffing them, what kind of training do they need. And after that, um, the Secretary of State's office worked with the counties really um, extensively to increase trainings, to hire new poll workers, and to really take a look at what went wrong in July in order to smooth that out for November. Um, and also, there was an enormous increase in absentee voting, which actually made Election Day, I think, go quite more smoothly because those lines were a lot shorter or just weren't, wasn't the same volume at the polls. Um, but that, uh, that is where the Trump campaign is focusing their complaints for upheld absentee ballots. Um, there's been no evidence, not even, I mean, just the, the, I don't even say there's been no evidence. There's been nothing to indicate that there's been anything wrong with the absentee ballots. Um, and again, if this, if the Trump campaign was not um, raising these issues, I'm pretty sure the governor and Secretary of State Raffensperger would have been taking a gigantic victory lap on Wednesday morning because those elections really did go quite smoothly. Uh, however, Democrats in the state are increasing um, their vote share. They're increasing their power. And on Tuesday night, um, Joe Biden got the most votes. And so I think that's uh, created, you know, it's not the election result that they wanted, but it is the election result that happened um, that, uh, to Raffensperger's credit, he is standing by the election result and the process that went into it. Um, but it's um, obviously created a, a lot of problems for him. 
Um, he's had death threats against himself, against his family, against his staff. Um, and it is not a situation that looks like it's going away anytime soon because the Trump campaign um, and now the Trump campaign supported by our two Republican senators are asking for a method in the recount that actually is not prescribed by law. So what they're asking for is not going to be possible. And therefore, the results of the recount, I'm sure, will be contested even after a recount is completed. You said, yeah, the two Republican senators, they've asked for, and this is just confirmed, something they're they're citing even this week is saying they want signature matching. That's not possible physically because the ballots have already been separated from the envelopes that had the signatures on them. There's just no way. Am I am I missing something here or is there just no way we can do that anymore? No, that, that's right. There's no way to do that. Those signatures are matched at the county level. They are, um, if there was a problem with the signature, then they were sent back to the voter or the voter was alerted and the, the voter had a chance if they, if it was a, a legal voter, it probably was, to come back and resubmit their signature for matching. Otherwise, that signature, uh, that ballot was put to the side. Two additional county officials had to look at it. And then between the three of them, they would agree to, to separate that ballot out from the pile and not count that because there could not be a valid signature match. But at that point, once it's set aside, either it's accepted or it's not, the ballot and the signature are separated from each other. And that is to give each voter, um, you know, the right to a secret ballot so that you can't go back and say, oh, Jared, here's Jared Rizzi's envelope. He voted for whoever he voted for. Um, I don't know about this ballot. Um, if that's just not how it works in Georgia. It's in the state constitution that the secret ballot is every citizen's right. And so that's how Georgia law has been implemented, is to separate those two from each other. Um, they may want to do legislation going forward at the state level to change the way that piece of the constitution is interpreted. But it was a Republican legislature that passed the law um, <laughs> about the signature matching and how it would be interpreted. And so... This is the law that Republicans have passed. So it may be an imperfect law, but it was an imperfect law passed by an overwhelmingly Republican legislature that now is receiving a lot of complaints. But it's from Republicans. It's not a conspiracy. I guess that's the point. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that conspiracy because you've already identified one problem is that Jared Rizzi is voting in Georgia. I've never <laughs> voted in Georgia. And there's the first instance of fraud that we can actually put our put our teeth on. I, I do want to talk about though some of you. Know, you it, this isn't just light your hair on fire incredulousness. This is people who are taking crackpot theories and mainstreaming them in a really big way. And, you, you know, it's not just folks like Sidney Powell, who is as of right now, not officially part of the president's illegal team, but a couple days ago was, and who knows what, what's going on there. But there is this sense that these ideas, you know, she's called out these machines as problematic. You mentioned the machines as being relatively new, but the hand recount has confirmed. I, we're seeing some stuff that is, again, well beyond the pale of what we would normally see in these elections. I'm trying to find some benefit of the doubt here, and I'm not really finding any reason to give it. Well, 
I have to say, we don't know exactly why the senators are backing this approach, um, other than what we can glean. Um, and that's because they neither one of them has spoken extensively on the record about their calls for a recount here in the state. They also called for Secretary of State Rasmussen to resign. Um, they called for that right after the election. Um, both of them did pretty well in the election. Um, David Perdue um, got 49% of the vote. Kelly Loeffler made it into the runoff. Um, ostensibly, they had pretty good results from the election. So they didn't have any evidence or facts about why they wanted him to resign. They just said that it was an embarrassment. Um, but what we do know is that they do need every vote of every Trump supporter in this state to get elected in the runoff. And this is a, um, this is an anxiety and a fear that has taken over among the Trump base here in Georgia is that this election was not free and fair. And they feel that way because the president has told them that it's not free and fair. So it creates this sort of circular, um, the circular logic that the president said it wasn't going to be free and fair. If he loses, he loses. Now it's not free and fair. Now that's the mindset of Trump supporters that these two Republican senators have to appeal to in order to get those people to come back and support them nine weeks from that election. And um, it just puts them, especially Kelly Loeffler, in a terrible line because um, we mentioned Sidney Powell for a minute over the weekend, Sidney Powell said that not only was Georgia's election um, uh, bought and paid for and stolen from the people of Georgia, that Doug Collins was one of the candidates who had had his election stolen. Doug Collins ran against Kelly Loeffler. <laughs> so now right. Kelly Loeffler is a, has apparently been in a fraudulent election that she is not calling for a recount of, which ostensibly in Sidney Powell's reasoning would be to install Doug Collins instead of Kelly Leffler in that spot. And so it, it just, it, there is no logic to it because it's not fact-based, um, but it, it is reality-based because the reality is that these Trump supporters believe the president, they believe that this election was not free and fair and the two Republican senators are working very hard to align themselves with those voters while still being sitting Republican senators and candidates on the ballot. And it is just a really, really awkward, difficult, nonsensical space to be for people who would otherwise be like normal humans. You know, it's very, very strange to watch. I feel like we're both trying to be we're both trying to be very careful in our language here. But, you know, the the polling you mentioned that Senator Perdue, for example, is in a very, uh, you know, advantageous position. The 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 balance was from what I saw about 90,000 votes of the five million cast between him and John Ossoff. Um, You know, Kelly Leffler had a more significant margin but it was that jungle jungle primary style general election where you know she came in second essentially uh, out of the the top you know it was like 20 candidates or something i mean it was just a a very different race because it was an appointed seat and so i think about for let's just talk about Purdue and Ossoff for a moment yeah you mentioned the the difficulty of you know the, the trump denial effect essentially is there any 
it's so hard to poll, I imagine, especially between after the election, the holidays, there's still a pandemic going on. It's already difficult to reach people. But is there any sense of whether or not the 90,000 vote gap that Ossoff would have to make up? Are there is there a reason to believe that 90,000 Republicans might stay home? Is there a reason to believe that 90,000 new Democratic voters might come out of the woodwork and, and, and vote that didn't? Or is there some other groundswell that I'm missing because I'm in Washington, D.C. and, as I've said, have never voted in Georgia? <laughs> yes, we know you've never voted here. I'm just um, trying to make sure that no one knocks on my door at this point. I know. I know Sidney Powell is going to be knocking on your door and asking Oh, God, for please leave me alone, Kraken. I don't need you. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, we just don't know. This race is going to have such a totally dynamic that's different because Donald Trump is not on the ballot and he was such an oversized issue in November. And nearly everybody at the polls in Georgia were there either to um, stand up and save Donald Trump as president or to stand up and get rid of him. And without him on the ballot, we don't know exactly how voters will be animated and will it be because um uh, people who support joe biden recognize that keeping or giving um control of the senate to democrats would um would ease a biden presidency and make it easier for him to enact his policies you know that's that's just a different that's just a much more logical line strain of thinking than get rid of donald trump do you know um, and then for Republicans, they are in grave danger right now because there's a corner of the Republican base that is saying they don't feel like uh, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue are standing up enough for the president. And if they don't stand up for the president now, voters will not stand up for them in January. That is absolute lunacy. You know, these are two conservative Republicans but in Georgia right now, it's not enough to be Republican to win as a Republican. You have to be a Trump Republican to win as a Republican. And that's just I don't a think very, that's just Georgia, by yeah, the way. I mean, that's, you know. It's just a very different world. I mean, the, Demo- the Republican Party in Georgia has um, been dominant in this state. There have been a lot of different factions in different camps that have come through um, based on who is the governor or based on who is the up and coming player. Um, or, you know, sort of which particular counties were the powerful Republicans coming from. Um, but it's never been a single, it's just never been a single person, not from Georgia, um, really determining the fate of everybody else in the state. And that's how it feels right now. Um, and this is a, it's just a state with a, it's a, it's a party in the state with a very proud history and, um, Right now, I think they're really at odds with how to go forward. Um, how many of them are just doing this to humor the president? How many of them are doing this because they believe it? You, it's very hard to tell the difference right now. And is there anything short of, I, I don't know, stampeding the, the the governor and the secretary of state that, that Leffler and, and Purdue could do that would satisfy these voters? I just don't, like, what's... I, it doesn't seem like there's anything within the realm of traditional electoral politics. I mean, maybe maybe uh, something a little a little more violent. I don't I don't know what 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 are people talking about because they're 
the exhausting options are are running out very quickly. Right. Well, so um, I don't know if they, it seems to be that they are thinking of the tone of these two Republicans. I mean, these are both, um, left of them, you are both former CEOs of large companies. Um, uh, Purdue was the CEO of Reebok and of Dollar General. And Kelly Leffler's husband um, owns the New York Stock Exchange and the bigger company that owns that stock exchange. Um, and she herself was the CEO of um, a cryptocurrency sort of subsidiary of that company. I mean, these are two boardroom Republicans. They don't breathe fire. And it seems like the, the far right of the base in the state wants the fire breather. And to, con- to contrast with um, Kelly Leffler, Congressman Doug Collins has taken over as sort of the face of the legal challenge to the Trump campaign, for the Trump campaign, rather. Um, here in the state, Collins ran against Leffler. He endorsed her right away. Um, right. However, he has really been out front down here, and you know he did an event with Donald Trump Jr. He's um, he's in front of Fox News cameras all the time. He's um, very, very, very aggressively defending the president. By contrast, Leffler and Purdue are doing their campaign events sort of in more traditional style, and they've sent a couple of letters to say we think that you should resign, Brad Raffensperger, and to say. We think there should be a recount, but it's not been this this fire breathing energy and anger that they're bringing. And I don't know if that's the level of um, energy and sincerity that that activists are looking for, um, but it's created a, a very um, awkward, difficult dynamic for them right now. Patricia, from your perch, and this is kind of my last question, but in true interview spirit, it's it's a multi part question. Um, do you see either or both of the Democrats having a significant chance, given everything that you're talking about with the um, with the, the groundswell of different factors and the the reluctance, the, the reticence on some Republicans part when Donald Trump and Doug Collins aren't on the ticket to to come out and vote. Do you see these these Democrats of having a significant chance in January? And the other side of this and the the larger question with the same theme is, you know, Georgia went from this very red state to I feel like it had a, a brief moment of purple in 2018. And it feels like it could be on the cusp of becoming blue. So from the, the from the small perspective, the microcosm of these two races and the larger perspective of the, the tide shifting, uh, do you see that happening in that way? So I'll take your second question first. Um, I don't think that Georgia is about to become all of a sudden blue. Um, I think it's definitely trending in that direction. And there's a a lot of data that shows this has been trending this way for 10 years. I think that Joe Biden as the candidate in Georgia accelerated that change and maybe even makes it look as if um, the change is complete, which I don't think it is. Um, I think that Joe Biden was the right candidate for Democrats in this particular state. There were a number of Republicans who split their ticket, a critical number of Republicans. I mean, he only won by 12,000 votes. You know, this was not a landslide. Plus mine. And that was, right. you know, you know, that was a fraud vote. So that's. <laughs> so it was not a landslide. And I do not think that um, if this were a, um, 
an Elizabeth Warren ticket that she would have won Georgia. It is just not that kind of an electorate here in the state right now. Um, so I, I don't think it's, um, you know, Democrats pop the champagne, the work is done, get comfortable, you're in charge. Um, every statewide official is still a Republican. Most counties are still governed by Republicans. Um, but the, the, the counties that have changed the fastest are also the fastest growing and the most important for Democrats because of that. And those are those northern suburb counties of Gwinnett and Cobb County. Um, and I'll just throw uh, two numbers at you. Cobb County and Gwinnett County between 2012 and, and 2020 had a 26-point swing from Republican to Democrat and a 28-point swing from Republican to Democrat. Um, from kind of a Mitt Romney to, uh, to um, Joe Biden. Um, and those counties also had explosive growth in that period of time. Democrats also did, and Stacey Evans gets a lot of credit for this, did a masterful job of registering these Democrats in that period of time. And so um, it was a combination of uh, candidate, uh, ground game, opportunity, circumstances, and Donald Trump was a horrendous candidate in those in this two counties. And so I think those are the counties that made the difference. And it was a confluence of the right personalities um, working in concert uh, with the grounding that had been led by Stacey Abrams and other, uh, other uh, get out the vote operations. So, um, but I don't think the work is done for Democrats at all. <laughs> They're going to have to right. really keep working. Um, because Republicans well, especially, still this place. <laughs> well, especially because Joe Biden is not the future of the Democratic Party, even That's if he's right. the next president That's of right. the, you know, the United States. Yes, the more the more more important question for Democrats is not what just happened, but what's next, and that will decide what direction Georgia and states like it go. Donald Trump, for example, uh, uh, won North Carolina this year. I don't think people expected him to win North Carolina. I think they thought that that would be a Democratic state. So these. These states that are changing, they don't change in a straight line. You know, it's right. um, forward, back, forward, back. The pendulum is sort of all over the place. And in Georgia, um, Republicans are going to be in charge of reapportionment because they have just uh, held right. into both state both houses of the legislature. Uh, and so that's going to hold the pendulum for them, certainly locally, um, for longer than, than even it would have. So that's, that's my larger answer. And then on these two... On the question of these two Senate races, I think they certainly do have a chance. Um, You can't say that they don't. These are both um, really talented candidates. They're both great on the stump. Um, They are both running against um, incumbents in kind of a change year. And so, um, and they're going to have more money than than they can even know how to spend. You know, so they're going to have a lot of advantages. what I think is going to be difficult or make it harder for them is that uh, I think that this has been an election about moderation here in Georgia. And um, I think that Republicans, even if they are stumbling in some areas, particularly party unity, um, they're going to be able to, um, to use the argument uh, that an all Democratic Washington is not what Georgia voters want. And they've been saying this. I mean, this has been the message for Republicans. Do you want the Green New Deal? Do you want, um, right. you know, socialized medicine, this and that, radical, radical this, radical that, AOC. We hear more about the squad down here than we hear about John Ossoff 
in Raphael Warnock when Republicans are talking. It's a lot more about <laughs> AOC, a lot less about Raphael Warnock um, and John Ossoff. So those are the, you know, that's, and that's an issue that has worked in one-offs here in Georgia consistently. And so uh, when it, when one party has won the White House, uh, typically if there's a one-off that year, um, it really does work in favor to, to offer to be a check on that White House. Um, so we just don't know. And and certainly I think about the, le- the last one, I mean, was, uh, I think it was in 08, when Saxby Chambliss was up for re-election, and it went from a three-point in the general over Jim Martin to 15 points in January. So certainly there was a sense there that you wanted to uh, yeah. to do whatever you could, not that it was a, as big of a difference uh, at that point. but uh, That's right. And, and that's when that Republican infrastructure also really makes a difference. And we're talking about the fact that the governor is the is a Republican, every statewide official is Republican, and those county governments um, – uh, Democrats picked up a few county level seats and they certainly um, typically run the counties in, in the large metro areas, but in the smaller in the smaller um, counties and outside of metro Atlanta, um, there's just an enormous amount of embedded Republican infrastructure um, that has delivered again and again over the last 20 or 30 years. So um, they have an, they'll have that advantage as well in January though. Well, Patricia, I really appreciate the expertise. I know that you are very busy, and I'm so grateful for the time that you've been able to give us today because, frankly, there's there's a lot of moving pieces. Uh, a lot of it doesn't necessarily make sense, and it's not supposed to, I suppose, if you've uh, got a relatively rational uh, brain on your on your in your head. But uh, I really appreciate you putting a, a little bit of uh, through line through this for us. Uh, Patricia Murphy is a politics reporter at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Thank you so much for joining me at the table. Well, thanks for having me.